So, today we're in John chapter 10. And um, for those who know me, you'll know that I'm not really a big football follower, but my thing is music. My thing is music. If there was any pastime or hobby or interest that I have, um, apart from, or, um, yeah, apart from um, my interest in the things of the Lord, it's definitely music. And it's, it's interesting because as we look at John 10, I consider the fact that leaders come in all different shapes and sizes. Leaders come in all different shapes and sizes. Every single one of us is a leader in our own right in different ways. From you have influence over someone else, you are a leader. You have the capacity to lead. And yet when we think about the reality of spiritual leadership, it's interesting that musicians have long been regarded as social prophets. You think about the Beatles and the impact that they had and the songs that they sang. All you need is love. John Lennon, imagine there's no heaven. And you think about the impact that those words have had. Bringing it a bit more closer to home in our era. You have the late, and many would say great, Michael Jackson. And you hear his, his words in the song, Man in the Mirror. If you want to make the world a better place to conduct yourself and make that change. <laughs> but that's what he's saying, right? If you want to make the world a better place, all you've got to do is change. There is truth in that, but it's not the whole truth. And yet for some people, that was the whole truth. And it was a very um, humanistic worldview. All we need to do is change, change ourselves, and the world will be a better place. That's spiritual leadership right there. Being administered in the words of those songs. Drake said, no new friends. And people started to forsake fellowship. No longer wanting to love the brethren. Because Drake said, no new friends. So, you know, I'm just going to stay with my day ones. Even though I'm new to the church and I don't really know anyone. Spiritual leadership. Comes in all different shapes and sizes. See, we look at the Jim Jones of the Jonestown Massacre. We look at the David Koresh's of the Waco Massacre in Texas these years ago. And so often can be very blind to the spiritual leadership that is being influencing our lives, even on a day-to-day basis. And so let's consider spiritual leadership today as we look at John 10. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word you've revealed yourself to us. Lord, we do pray that you would reveal us to ourselves. That we might regard rightly. That we might have a renewed vision of Not only who you are, but who we are in light of you. And also, Lord, all that we can be in you. 
Help us, Lord, to be honest as we evaluate the issue of spiritual leadership in our lives and how we respond to it. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness toward us. In Jesus' name, amen. Reading firstly verses 1 to 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus here is speaking in the same context that we looked at last week of chapter 9. As you looked at the end of um, chapter 9, after the man who was born blind had been healed, Jesus had spoken with him and revealed himself to him, the fact that he was the son of man, the Messiah, and the man worshipped him, and then the Pharisees made comment who were nearby, and Jesus engaged them in dialogue. This is a continuation of that dialogue. Jesus is speaking to the spiritual leaders of Israel, the Pharisees. And as he shares this with them, in verse 6 we see that actually they weren't really very clear about what Jesus was getting at. So Jesus shares this short parable, this short illustration of a point, a point that they didn't get. Now I must say that I've had to wrestle with this text because I found it hard to get the point. But God is gracious to open blind eyes, amen? Amen. Here we see an illustration Jesus gives An illustration about a shepherd and sheep and robbers and a gatekeeper. And in it, he's making a point. Now, he will go on to expand on this example or this illustration as it relates to shepherds and sheep. And obviously, coming from an urban context... Um, we don't really know that much about shepherding and sheep. Even though, as a, as a young boy, growing up with my gran, um, having lived quite a sheltered life, believe it or not, I would, I would be accustomed to watching one man on his dog on television. <laughs> guilty pleasures, guilty pleasures. What can I say? I used to watch one man and his dog. And it used to intrigue me. The way that the shepherd would just stand up. Just call. And he would just, two whistles, mutter two words. Come by, come by. That's all I could ever understand. Come by, come by. 
And then he would whistle and you'd see the dog, the sheepdog. And then when, the, when, when he hears the whistle, he, he twitch. And then when he gets the green light, he's gone. And he's running around the back of the... Sh- and I, that used to intrigue me. <laughs> I was easily entertained as a child. <laughs> but that was nothing like the shepherding in first century Israel. You see, the shepherds in Israel had an, a, an intimate relationship with their sheep in that they knew their sheep and their sheep knew them. And what would happen and what we see being portrayed in this scenario here is you would have a shepherd who would have his sheep and they may go to a, a rest spot and they would have a sheep pen or a sheep fold as it's sometimes known. And it's just a, an enclosed area where all the sheep would go in and be safe. And at certain rest stops, you would have several different shepherds with their flocks all gathered in this sheep pen. And so when the shepherd needed to go and get a break, maybe go and get some refreshment or whatever, they would have a gatekeeper who would be the watchman of the sheep pen. Make sure none of the sheep get out and no one inappropriate gets in. Sheep were a a hot commodity in first century Israel. They were worth something. Their wool, their meat, um, some say even their milk. I don't know how that works, but I know about goat's milk. You know about goat's milk? I bathe in it every day. You can tell, right? (laughs) But sheep's milk, I'm not that familiar with that, but apparently the milk. So they 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 were of high value. And so they had to be protected and looked after. And then what would happen was, as the, the shepherd would come to, to gather his sheep, he would just call them by name. And he would start calling his flocks. And as he starts calling his flocks, even from among the sheep, they would just start leaping out and climbing out and coming out of the gate. And he would just begin to walk off and they would begin to follow And even if another shepherd came and started calling their flocks, his sheep wouldn't go. They wouldn't move. Because the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And so this is what we see Jesus alluding to here. And he's making this point to these hard-hearted, unsubmissive Pharisees who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders. They're supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. And so in this we see Jesus is challenging them about their leadership. Now in this example... In verse 1 he says, He who does not enter the sheepfold. What does the sheepfold represent in this metaphor, in this illustration? The sheepfold basically represents Judaism or the people of God. He says, He who does not enter the sheepfold, the, 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 the congregation of God as represented by Judaism, by the door... The door representing the law. 
but rather climbs in by another way, trying to bypass the law, that man is a thief and a robber. So this person isn't trying to enter through the, uh, the prescribed manner, but they're trying to sneak in through another way. They're a thief and a robber in that they are selfish, they have no claim on the sheep, they are out for their own profit. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So the gatekeeper recognizes the shepherd who has sheep in the pen and welcomes them because he's legitimately allowed to go into the sheep pen and tend to his sheep. And so the gatekeeper is representing the prophets who spoke of the law and were called by God watchmen on the walls of Israel. And so in this, Jesus is presenting himself as the shepherd. He is the shepherd who comes in accordance to the prophets and in agreement and submission to the law. And when he speaks, his sheep hear his voice. His sheep at that time in the original context being Israel. Those who are the true Israel amongst Israelites hear his voice. And so we see focus on another sense. Last week it was, it was sight. This week it's hearing. The means by which we perceive and understand our environment, and communicate with others. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So in this we see that Jesus is not only presenting himself as the shepherd, but the Pharisees as thieves and robbers. And anyone else who would try to lay claim to spiritual leadership apart from in the way that God had prescribed. You see, in the last chapter, we saw how they regarded, their, their, their testimony of Jesus was, we know that this man is a sinner. When really they knew no such thing. They were lying. And the only reason in that instance that they regarded him as a sinner was because he didn't follow their traditions. And so rather than them adhering to the law of God and the voice of the prophets, they were sticking to their traditions and rejecting Christ. And so their claim to spiritual leadership was nothing less than an illegitimate work of a thief or a robber. They were taking something that was not theirs. Now, that principle... Anyone who climbs over and does not go through the gate is true for not just the Pharisees, but for any other leaders of belief systems. When we read the, 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 the New Testament, often we can forget, we can not recognize the fact that actually there were other religions that were around at that time. There were other beliefs 
that were around at that time that even predated Christianity and in, in some ways um, predated Judaism, predated Moses. So we understand that Egyptology, Nubian king, Nubian queen. Today people want to make a big deal about the fact that, you know, it's ancient. And therefore has authority and weight and has more authority than Jesus himself. There's nothing special about the fact that it's ancient. From Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was worship. And when they were put out of the garden, there was still worship. And then there was diverted worship as humanity increased. And so the fact that there have been forms of worship that predate Moses or Abraham or Jesus is no big deal. It doesn't give it any authority or any weight over Jesus Christ. At the time of Jesus, there was a belief called Zoroastrianism. And it's, a, it's, it's nothing more than a sect now. But that was for a thousand years, about 600 years before Jesus, and, and a few hundred years after, that was one of the most powerful religions in the world. There were other beliefs out there that existed. The Romans had the, the um, emperor cult, where Caesar was viewed as God. The Greeks had their mythology. All of them, thieves and robbers, laying claim to spiritual leadership that they have no right to. So in verse 7, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus now develops on the initial illustration. The initial illustration, verses 1 to 5, stands in its own right. Jesus now begins to expand on that. And in some ways, he, he makes a new association of himself in his example. He says, I am the door of the sheep. Now, it, that really confused me. I can't lie. Because one minute he's the shepherd, the next minute he's the door. Now, we know Jesus is the door. He's the gate. He's the only way in. <laughs> to quote Pastor Rob. Lyric. We know that, we understand that, but how does it work in the context of this example? Let me tell you something. This was mind blowing for me. So here we see, right, an example of Israel. This is pictures of Israel and, and shepherding in Israel. You see the, the shepherd walking ahead of the sheep as they follow. And, and what you see. At, in the bottom picture is examples of the sheep being led to a pen. Now, you might think that doesn't look much like a pen. 
in the way that I would imagine it. That's why it's important that we see the, the, the original context. It helps us to appreciate what's being talked about. So what would happen is often in, in, in the hill country of Israel, you'd find these kind of like little caves. And they would build up with rocks around the caves in order for it to provide a, 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 an enclosed area. And the cave would provide a certain degree of shelter from the heat when it was hot or from the rain when it was cool and rainy. And so therefore, it was an ideal place for the, the sheep to find rest. And so, as you look at that picture, the, the rock on the left at the bottom of the picture, the rock on the right, that's actually the entrance to the pen. And so what would happen is, you would have a shepherd who would sit at the mouth of the pen. And as they sat at the mouth, as you see in the top left picture, as they sat at the mouth, they served as the gate to the pen. They would, they would, the, the shepherd was literally the door. The sheep couldn't get out. Obviously, no one or nothing could get in. In the bottom picture, you see uh, another illustration um, depicting the same idea. Walled, enclosed area, shepherd sitting in the doorway as the gate, as the door. When Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep, that's what he's talking about. He is the one who hems in the pen, who closes the gap. And he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. That was one of the reasons why the thieves had to climb over, because they couldn't entice the sheep out. So they'd have to try and climb in in order to heave them out. And yet, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And so in order to enter the fold of God, you must go through Jesus. There is no other way to legitimately enter. And to try and enter by any other way would be completely ineffective because Jesus, as a good shepherd, protects the sheepfold and ejects any strays, ejects any unwanted visitors. And so he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Spiritually saved. Are you saved today? There are many of us who can say yes. Some may not be able to be so confident. And maybe it's because you're trying to approach God's sheep pen. 
You're trying to enter the sheepfold of God, but trying to do so apart from Jesus. Jesus goes on to say, you will go in and out and find pasture. Now again, that kind of almost makes it seem as if, well, if being in the sheep pen is being saved, why would you want to come out of the sheep pen? Does that mean that you can kind of just take a holiday from your salvation, do a madness, and then go back into the sheep pen and have the freedom and leisure to do that as you will? Some people think so. Some people I've heard say, you know, um, taking a holiday from church. And um, in the process, they take a holiday from their Christianity. Whether it's Ibiza, Ayanapa, um, where is it, Croatia? Is that the, the new hotspot? And as far as they're concerned, well, I'm on holidays, so I've kind of just stepped out of the sheep pen for a moment and I can do whatever. That's not what this is saying. What it's saying is the sheep has entered into a relationship with the shepherd where the shepherd now takes responsibility for that sheep and wherever that sheep goes, the shepherd's watching. The shepherd's caring. The, the, the sheep has liberty and freedom to move around knowing that it is constantly in the care of the shepherd. So it's not as if, you know, we could take holidays from our salvation or even lose our salvation and then find it again. No. It means that once Jesus is your shepherd, he's your shepherd for eternity. And there's freedom in that. I wonder if there's anyone who can testify to the freedom in Christ in knowing that Jesus is your shepherd. It's a beautiful thing. Because wherever you are, whatever situation you find yourself in, you know the eyes of the shepherd are on you. You know he's carefully attentive to your needs. In verse 10, he says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, all of these other so-called belief systems, philosophies of life, they will rob you and I blind. They will strip us of all that is good. Only come to steal kill and destroy now in its original context this isn't specifically speaking about Satan although this verse is often attributed or applied to him not unfairly so because we understand that he is the the adversary of God and his people but this is particularly and specifically true for all those thieves and robbers who try and lay claim to spiritual leadership and authority inappropriately. Note well, apart from Christ, we will be mugged off, killed and destroyed. 
and yet there is abundant life in Jesus. And I used to think that that was just another way of saying eternal life in that you're going to live forever. You're going to have a, an endless quantity of life. But Jesus is saying, look, it's more than that. It's, it's a quality of life. Abundant life is a life that is of the highest superiority in its richness. It's a full life. It's a rich life. And that is what is found in Jesus Christ. In verse 11 to 18, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf come in and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand. And cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Just as the father knows me. And I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep. That are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. One shepherd. For this reason the father loves me. Because I lay down my life. That I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So twice we see Jesus declare the fact that he is the good shepherd in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. And there's a certain emphasis being made here by Jesus. Not just because they were bad shepherds. Not just because shepherds had a bad reputation. They were considered the underclass of society. But because God had already defined those who were bad shepherds. And he had done so explicitly and clearly. It's really important that we look at these verses in Ezekiel 34. Because as we look at these, it will help us to understand Exactly how the Pharisees would have began to understand what Jesus was saying. And how cutting and how stinging his statements would have been to them. In Ezekiel 34, looking at verses 1 to 12, and really the whole chapter deals with this. And I'd encourage you to read it, especially in preparation for next week. We're just going to look at the first 12 verses. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, the spiritual leaders. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, 
who have been leading yourselves, sorry, feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, Since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. From all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. As I say, you could have read on through the chapter because it's all relevant. And we see God here declaring his opposition to the fake, greedy shepherds of Israel. Those who, instead of feeding the sheep, fed on the sheep. They were examples of bad shepherds. They were declared to be bad shepherds. And you know, the reality is that even today, we are familiar with those who call themselves shepherds and yet are regarded by God as bad shepherds. Why? Because they don't feed the sheep of God. Instead, they fleece them. You don't have to skip too many channels before you come across Christian TV that is laden with those who really have no word of God to bring to feed and nourish people. They have a lot of motivational talk, great catchphrases, And large appeals for money. 
Nah, um, thank you, Brother Gide, because I know we all understand what I'm saying. And let me just clarify. I'm not going to start naming names today because that's not necessary at this juncture. Although Paul done it, it's not necessary. But let's just be honest and true and real. We understand that there are many who profess to be shepherds of God. And they are bad shepherds because they are merely feeding on the sheep to the point where even those who don't know God don't want to know him. Because if that's what it's all about, they're just going to rinse me for my dough. Don't bother invite me to church. Bad shepherds. Now, they say you must be careful when you point the finger because there's free pointing back at yourself. And for all of us as pastors and elders, and any one of us who stands to share the word of God, we recognize the weight of this responsibility because we're not trying to hear God say, you're a bad shepherd who has not been feeding the sheep. I've got to be honest with you. After last week's message, I was, I was absolutely gutted and devastated. Absolutely disgusted with myself. I'll be honest with you. And before I tell you why, I will tell you that as I was preparing this week's message, the Lord encouraged my heart a little bit. And he, and he, and he applied some ointment to my to my bleeding heart because last week <laughs> Judith's laughing Judith will tell you I didn't even sleep well on a Sunday night I'm not even trying to look for sympathy or nothing but you know what last week I preached for 80 minutes that was offensive and the only comfort <laughs> Judith's laughing at me. I'm not even taking it for joke because I'm not, you know, belittling it. I've got my timer on right now. I know exactly how much time I have left. So I'm not making light of it. But the only comfort was, well, it's better to overfeed than underfeed. (laughs) That was the only comfort. Now, I'm not trying to overfeed you this week or ever again. The Lord have mercy on my soul. But that's how seriously we take this. We don't want to be caught up in a day of clouds and thick darkness when the Lord brings judgment on the shepherds. And so, Jesus is contrasting himself as the good, the good shepherd, not a good shepherd, the good shepherd, the promised Good shepherd. The the shepherd who is God himself. You have to hear that. God says in Ezekiel, I, I myself will search for my sheep. I'm going to shepherd. I'm going to do this. And so who is Jesus now? The good shepherd. If he is not God revealed in the flesh. Shepherding the people of God personally. Listen, by the end of the chapter, as you'll see after, at the end of next week, they're ready to kill Jesus. 
because they understand full well what he's talking about. They understand full well the insinuations that he's making here. Do we understand? Jesus contrasts himself against higher staff. You know when people um, take a higher car, apart from the fact that obviously you're not trying to crash the car because you, you don't want to have to you know, pay any kind of undue repayments. But generally people don't treat a higher car the way that they treat their own. Road humps, it's a higher car and it's going back your car first gear you know how much shock absorbers cost you see that hired hand mentality was very real for them then and the hired hand verse 12 and 13 tells us that they don't care They put themselves first when danger's in the frame. Even as we think about shepherding and we think about how that relates to pastoring, because in the New Testament, the word shepherd and pastor is interchangeable. It's the same word in Greek. We see here a standard being declared. As Jesus declares himself as the good shepherd and he highlights the thieves and the robbers and then contrasts now those who are merely hired hands. They're merely in it for the money. So many people in ministry, they've got a comfortable appointment, comfortable ministry, and hearts become cold and it becomes about the cash. It pays my bills and it buys me holidays and brings my kids up in private education and We have to guard our hearts against the higher mentality. In contrast, the hired hand doesn't care, but the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verses 15 and 17. And 18. Jesus says he lays down his life for the sheep. And we see a picture of this in David, who was also the shepherd king. When the sheep were under attack by the bear, David dealt with the bear, even at risk of his own life. And when the sheep were at risk to the lion, he dealt with the lion, even at risk of his own life. He was a shepherd who put his life on the line for the sheep. And, and a real spiritual leader. It's not someone who's merely trying to get from you, but they're ready to to put their life on the line for you. We see that in laying down his life, Jesus is showing his love for the father and for the sheep. As we looked at the earlier verses, we hear that intimate sense the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out and he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice and there's a genuine 
connection. There's a genuine relationship of love there. Jesus is the good shepherd who loves the father and loves his sheep. As a shepherd, Jesus loves you. If you are his sheep, if you put your faith in him, you can be absolutely confident of that. And that is first demonstrated in his love for the Father. In verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, that knowing isn't merely a, an acquaintance, but it's a, it's a relational bond. In verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me. Because the Son in his love for the Father lays down his life for the sheep. And yet he goes on to be very audacious. He says, I lay it down and take it up again. Dr. Don Carson has done a tremendous commentary on, on the book of John. Um, it's widely regarded as, as one of the best commentaries. And he makes this point. He says, really and truly, ultimately, what good is it if a shepherd dies for the sheep? In human terms, in physical terms. If a shepherd dies for the sheep, once he's dead, surely those sheep are now vulnerable. They're still vulnerable to attack. They're still vulnerable to be stolen. The shepherd's gone now. He done a valiant thing, but he can't help them no more. And yet Jesus says, I'm such a good shepherd, I'm not that shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep and I take it back up again. I'm going to be right back. Still there to provide, still there to protect. Now we understand that it was a foreview of his resurrection that he had in mind. And yet still we're comforted that Jesus is the eternal shepherd. He's not going anywhere. So we see the good shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know him. They hear his voice. He calls them by name. They know his voice. They do not know the voice of strangers. The sheep don't listen to strangers. He knows his own sheep, verse 14, and they know him. In verse 16, all Jesus' sheep will listen to his voice, even those who are not of that sheepfold, being Jewish, not of the Israel Judaic heritage. Speaking of us. All those Gentiles that would come to faith, who are not of Jewish descent, who don't share in the heritage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and yet still, we know his voice. You see, the voice of Jesus brought all things into existence. And so when Jesus makes the call, even the dead hear it, as we will see in chapter 11. And particularly the dead in sin. 
The dead in sin, which we were, we hear it. And so how is it that Jesus' sheep know his voice? Because Jesus teaches us to know his voice. Because his voice brings life to our souls. His voice unblocks our ears. His voice makes itself known to us in our hearts. And so when Jesus calls by name, his sheep know to answer. And this speaks of that mysterious work of God, working in the lives of people even before they know him. According to his knowledge, according to his choosing, according to his power. And so when it comes to salvation, and this excites me, especially when it comes to evangelism, oh my days. When it comes to salvation, the Lord's sheep will hear his voice. When we declare the gospel to those that God is already at work in, they will hear and respond. It's not like we have to sweat blood trying to convince people and, you know, people will give us a hard time. But those that God is at work in, they will hear his voice. And so, Jesus declares his intention to unify the flock. One flock, one true spiritual leader for all people, Jews and Gentiles. And yet he came first to the Jews. Verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. These are the people who had the the, the words of the prophets on their hearts. These are the people who knew the truth of God's work throughout the history of humanity. And yet some of them, verse 20, said he had a demon. In fact, many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Where others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You see, there was debate among them. I think it was C.S. Lewis who coined the phrase, Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. He's one or the other. It's either he's lying I have the power to lay down my life and take it up again. Like, what kind of audacious talk is this? Either he's a lunatic, as they say, he has a demon, he's insane. Because they knew the only other option was it's either that or he is Lord. Now, we know the end of the story. We know that he continued to perform further signs. Even the greatest sign being that of his death, 
and resurrection from the dead. And so is your faith in Jesus today as your shepherd, the good shepherd? Or are you still following the voice of your favorite artist? Or that admired celebrity? Or maybe you had that lecturer who just captivated you in college, university. Maybe you pay more heed to the voice of your mum than you do to that of Jesus. Maybe you've had experience of bad shepherds being misled, being fleeced, being used and abused, being preyed upon rather than prayed for. Jesus is the good shepherd. Be encouraged. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep and has taken it up again. In Psalm 100, to close, I'll ask the team to come and join me. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, everyone. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. It is he who made us. And we are his. We belong to him. He has the right of ownership over us. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You see, that's God's right and his claim over us. He's not a thief or a robber trying to claim your life illegitimately. God has every right to claim your life. He gave it. Will you surrender it to him? Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each have turned to their own way. And yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. May we put our faith in Jesus, who is the good shepherd, and him alone. Shall we stand? Father God, I pray with thanksgiving, grateful Lord that you are the good shepherd, you are mighty and powerful, and yet Lord you are full of love and compassion. Your care for your sheep knows no end even to the laying down of your life for us, for all who would believe on you. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for listening to the voice of other shepherds, illegitimate shepherds, shepherds that we had 
no business following. Philosophical shepherds, Lord. Social shepherds. Even familial shepherds, Lord, within our own family. You're the good shepherd. And Lord, you have set the pattern and the precedent, the standard for all shepherding, for all spiritual leadership. There is no spiritual leadership apart from you. And it is only those who follow you who can even be regarded as under shepherds. Lord, I pray that you would so work in our hearts and lives, Lord, that we would just grab onto you in all things. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life for the sheep. I pray, Lord, that you would draw to yourself, Lord, all those, Lord, that will find peace and comfort, find refreshment for their souls in you, Lord, find protection and provision of an abundant nature. Let's pray for all those that may be here today, Lord, who have yet to surrender to you. I pray, Lord, that they would hear your voice calling them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.